All right, so we talked about the attitude of being repentant and really how that is God's will for our life, that we need to make sure that we remain humble. And as Colossians 2, 6, and 7 talks about, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And that's important for us to maintain that kind of attitude. The second will of God that we talked about, and this was last week, was to be sanctified. And that is from the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, we are called out by God to live a life that is set apart from this world and unto Him. And we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And there is common misunderstandings with both of these, but especially on the sanctification side, that if people do not have the right heart attitude on this, then they will either look too much like the world because they're operating in their freedom that they have in Christ, or they end up in a massive amount of legalism. And it's all about rules and regulations, and they're trying to change the inside by going from the outside in. And the way that God works is that He never works from the outside in. He does not. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it is that internal, invisible, spiritual kingdom that He's desiring to build in each and every believer. It begins on the inside and works its way out. And so if you are not willing to let God change you from the inside out, and that begins with that repentant heart attitude, that will of God number one, then there is no way that you can be properly sanctified. There's no way that that can happen. And so tonight, as we look into not being conformed to this world, here's our challenge as I've been thinking about this. We all know that we're not supposed to look like the world. We all know that. that for, for any Christian that spends any amount of time in the Bible with God, you know that we are not supposed to look like this world. That's a given. So we need to go into this topic tonight with a brand new set of eyes, with a refreshed mindset, because we are Laodiceans. And when you study out Revelation 3, and you take a look at that letter to the Laodiceans and their characteristics, the biggest issue that God had with them is that he says that you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So we think that we're okay and that we don't need anything, and that should cause you to think about that will of God, number one, of being repentant. And we are a needy people, that we need the Lord. And because our attitude as Laodiceans is to be that, that we think we've got it all handled and that we don't have any needs, we don't really need the Lord, then without even realizing it, that we will look a lot like this world. So Laodiceans are the most worldly Christians. And even though we are Bible believers and we believe in multiplying disciples here and we want to do everything that God has to say, that same spirit is inside of us. And there is a part of us that will really struggle on a daily basis that we do really want to be like this world. There are elements that we do love about this world. But the closer we get to God, the more we'll realize that this world is not worth hanging on to. And this is a process. Just like with sanctification, there's an element that, yes, we are set apart unto God, but there is a practical side to it that we have to every day make that choice to walk closer and closer with God. And it's the same thing with this. So as we see things in our life where the Spirit of God is going to bring up to us, hey, listen, you're looking too much like the world, we have to recognize it, admit it, humble ourselves, and turn away from it. And so what we're going to take a look at tonight is we're going to look at a more of an expositional a study of Romans 12 too tonight. So go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to go bit by bit through. And this was, a, this was a challenge to me, and there were things that I needed to go back to, and I really needed to take a look at my own heart and my own life, because it can creep in, and it is very, very, very subtle. So while you're turning there, I'm going to read the opening paragraph. Turn to Romans 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. That's our main verses for tonight. 
and I'm going to read the paragraph, and then after I read it, then we will pray. With a repentant heart attitude, will of God number one, and a willingness to be sanctified from this world and unto God, his plans and his purposes, will of God number two, the next will of God is to not be conformed to this world. God is very clear and direct about this will for our lives, which means this is going to be a daily battle. Humans were made from the dust of the ground and are likened unto clay that can be formed into various things. As born-again believers, we can allow the hand of God to conform us more in His image or allow the God of this world to conform us into His image. If we are going to glorify God, we must understand this will of God with all our hearts and act upon it. Let's pray. God, I pray tonight that you would make these things abundantly clear. You have a desire for us to not be like this world, to be set apart from this world unto you, to have that repentant heart attitude, and frankly, for us to be obedient and faithful in these things. We need you. We need you on a daily basis. We need you to teach us, to guide us. And in areas where we're being very stubborn and we're not allowing you to guide us, I pray that you'd make that very clear. Lord, the life that you have for us, your will for us, is so much better than the will that we can have for our own life and our own ideas. It is so much better than what the world wants to lay out for us to follow. I know that when I have walked in your will in my life, it is the best thing that I've ever experienced. And I pray, God, that we would realize this and that we would be very willing to let go of the things of this world and to run in your direction and to really do whatever you tell us to do. You deserve all the glory from our life, and that means that we need to be very submissive to you. So help us to see these things from a fresh perspective tonight, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be spending time talking about not being conformed to this world, and we must define what conform is. And you may know what it is, but we're going to take a look at, there's three places in Scripture where the, the word is used. Every form of the word conform is used in only three places in the Bible. But a good definition of conform is made to resemble, assuming the same form, made agreeable to, to comply with or yield to, to live or act according to. So we are not to be conformed to this world. So we are not to resemble this world. We are not to assume the same form of this world. We are not to be made agreeable to this world. We are not to comply to this world. We are not to yield to this world. We are not to live or act according to this world. And the three places where it's found in Scripture, the first one is in Romans 8.29, as far as the word conform. And it says, and you can see how this is the exact opposite. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God says, I do not want you to look like the world. I want you to look like my son. That's really what he's saying. And then in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, you should be there in your Bibles. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The last place that it's found is in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 where Paul's speaking about his relationship and his pursuit of Christ, 
where he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, I don't know if you've read this passage before in Philippians 3. It might sound a little bit elusive or something you really can't really understand. This is very, very easy. His desire is that he wants to know Christ. And so to know Christ and that power of his resurrection, you have fellowship in his suffering. So if you want to live like Christ, you will suffer. You will. Because this world hates God. They hate Christ and they, they killed him and they persecuted him. But it says being made conformable unto his death. When I read that phrase, it made me go back almost immediately to the garden where he says, God, I want you to take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If we're going to be made conformable unto his death, that means that we are going to be willing to let God do whatever he wants with us, even if we don't feel like it. And that, in that way, very particularly, that you can actually know him. And you know exactly what Christ went through and you can identify with him because we all struggle with those exact same things. So those are the three places in Scripture where conform is used, and that is really a, a great solid definition all the way around as far as what conform means. And God tells us very particularly, you are not to be conformed to this world. I want you to be conformed to the image of my Son. Now, when it comes to how this breaks down, I felt that it was best that we actually take apart the verse, and those are our three points for tonight. So the first point for tonight is be not conformed to this world. So turn with me over to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 15. So Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, I talk about them a lot because they're very important chapters in the Bible. This really talks to you about Lucifer and how he fell to become the devil and Satan. And Ezekiel 28 begins to show you what's happening on the inside of his heart and what actually caused him to fall and the particular iniquity and sin that he transgressed in. And so the first point that I want to hit under and to not be conformed to this world is that the enemies of God indoctrinate us to value the temporal over the eternal through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If, we're, if we are to not be conformed to this world, then we must understand how the enemy of God is going to work. And this is exactly what he does. This is exactly what the flesh, the world, and the devil do. That they want to indoctrinate us to value this temporal world over the eternal. And you can see that this is the very first thing that caused the devil to fall to begin with. So in Ezekiel 28, verse 15... He's talking, I'll back up to verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, that is the lust of the flesh, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou, and thou hast sinned. Therefore will I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering chair, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. That's the lust of the eye. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. And that's the pride of life. By reason of thy brightness, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. 
These three things is what caused Lucifer to fall into sin. This sin came from inside of himself. He was not content with how God made him, with the role that he had for him. If you cross-reference this over to Isaiah 14, he wanted to be like the Most High. But where did this come from? It came from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And it's no wonder that this is the exact same tactic that he uses to plague all of mankind. You start to see this strategy, this pattern throughout Scripture as he commonly attacks God's people. The very first place that we find this is in Genesis, outside of when it happened within himself on a timeline. But it happened in Genesis 3, when he's confronting Eve, and he talks to her and says, Yea, hath God said, like, did God actually say that you shouldn't eat of every tree of the garden? Well, then shortly after, after she starts thinking about all these things, and she's tempted about what he's saying, it says in verse 6, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it's the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, it's the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The exact same thing that the God of this world fell into is the exact same thing that he uses on each and every one of us. And it began with Eve. It always comes back down to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every single time. Every time. You see this, how he tried to do this with Jesus. You can read this in Matthew, and also in Luke chapter 4. The reference I have in your study sheet is in Luke chapter 4. But in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, what do you see the devil doing? Well, if you're truly the Son of God, why don't you command that this stone be made bread? That's the lust of the flesh. Well, if you're really the Son of God, then I'm going to have to take you up to the pinnacle of this, of this temple and just throw yourself down, and, and you can just show everybody that you're God. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to do any of these things. That's the pride of life. He takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and all the glory of them and all the power of them. And he says, I will give you all of these things if you just bow down and worship me. That's the lust of the eyes. Those same three things that he fell into, that he started with Eve, he then brought to Jesus Christ himself and he was at a moment of weakness. And if you remember, what did Jesus do to combat it? Every single time, what did he do? It is written. He did not have enough strength in his humanity to contend with the devil. He had to go back to the authority of the scripture. It didn't matter what he was thinking and what he was feeling in that moment. He went back to the authority of the scripture in order to combat that. So if we're not going to be conformed to this world, you have to recognize the strategy. You have to recognize he's going to come at you with the lust of the flesh, with the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Things that make you feel good, things that make you look good, and things that make you feel like you're somebody. And all three of those things, God has already done for us. We don't need anything outside of God. God has met all of those needs, all those innate needs that we feel that we have. He's, he's the, the Word of God says very clearly that we are complete in Him. We are complete in Him. But yet, when this temptation comes, it seems like it is so overwhelming. Another example I thought about that we don't have time to get into tonight in particular, you can look at it later, is in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Satan used Nebuchadnezzar as a type of the Antichrist to employ this exact same strategy with Daniel 
and the guys that were with Daniel. And it says very particularly that it's with the king's seed and the princes. So here you have a guy who is a type of the Antichrist who specifically calls out the young men of the king's seed, which by the way, great devotional picture of you and I. When we become children of the Most High God, we are of the king's seed and we are made kings and priests unto God. And so what does the devil want to do? He can't change the fact that you're of the king's seed, but what can he do? He can indoctrinate you. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wants to do. He took these boys, he started teaching them the ways of the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, started teaching them the language, started feeding them a completely different diet, and all the food of Babylon, all the language of Babylon, all the customs of Babylon, because he wanted to conform them into his image, away from God's image. But Daniel, such a man of God, and such an example, he said very particularly in his own heart between him and God, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. There were certain things that he knew he couldn't control, but there are certain things he knew he could control. And so he's determining in his own heart, and his own mind, I am not going to defile myself. I'm not going to do it. I, I know that this is what the king commanded, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'll learn the language. I'll learn the customs. But as far as the diet is concerned, it's out. I'm not going to do that because that's going to compromise my relationship with the Lord. I'm not going to start eating a brand new steady diet. I need to do what God told me to do. And that came at a great risk. I mean, these boys could have been killed. But as a result, they were stronger than everybody else. And they stood above everybody else. And God gave them great favor. And so we have to be like Daniel. And we have to purpose in our heart that we're not going to defile ourselves. There are certain things about this world that we have to learn. We have to. You have to know how to function in this world. You have to. How are you going to reach the world if you don't know how to function in this world? That's very important. Now, how that applies to each and every person, that can differ. But there are certain lines that you cannot cross. You cannot be conformed to this world. There are certain places that you can't go. There are certain things that you can't do or else you're going to defile your relationship with God. And that's what the enemy of God wants to do. It's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to indoctrinate us. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He's already trying to keep the lost blinded, but if he can do anything that he can to follow that strategy to get you blinded, for you to then choose to put the blinders back on, then he succeeded. Because he can't change the fact of the eternal destination that you're going as far as you're, where you're from, you're in the king's seat. He can't, he can't do anything about that. Once you're born again, he's lost that battle. However, the fight's not over. And he still wants to do everything he can to keep you down and defeated and not paying attention and not looking about what's going on around you, with the people with you, with the world around you, none of it. So he wants to get you blinded again. And this is why in the same chapter, Paul said in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And in 1 John 2, God says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
So we have to understand the strategy. We have to understand the tactics. We have to. We can't be ignorant of those things. And we're all going to be tempted. And we're all susceptible to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he is going to do whatever he can to indoctrinate us, to keep us down and defeated. So letter B. After salvation, we are transformed, born again, as new creatures that are strangers in this present evil world. This is not our home any longer. It's not our home. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Colossians 1.13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And in Galatians, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, when I read a verse like this, it makes me think of Israel. You remember back when Israel was set free from the bondage of Egypt? They were set free by the blood of a spotless lamb. How long did it take them to long for Egypt again? It did not take them very long. In fact, just a little bit of adversity, just a little bit of challenges, and they're like, oh, but what it was like, and oh, and I will tell you, it's a lot like that in our Christian walk. In the moment that we get saved, it is like someone turned the lights on, and it's amazing. But over time, we start to wear down and wear down. And that's not of the Lord. That's of the enemy. That's part of his strategy. He wants to wear you down to get you back of, oh, I missed this. Oh, what about that? And then he wants you to compromise. But when you go back to the gospel and you understand that God gave himself for your sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. He knows that this is a bad place. This is enemy territory. He does not want you to be a part of it. It will help us to sober our minds up pretty quickly. But we all can struggle. We all can struggle. James 4.4, we saw this verse last week. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We have to remember verses like that. And this verse too, I, this, one's, this one hit home with me. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, as abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. These lusts, these tactics, these strategies of the devil, they war against our soul. And if we let it, it can keep us down and defeated in the work of the Lord, and we're not going to be able to glorify Him. And we cannot let it get in the way. And if we remember stuff like this, and we remember scriptures like in 2 Peter 3, where this whole world is going to be dissolved by fire, it's hard for us because on a daily basis, what do you see? We're in the world. We see the world. We walk in the midst of people of the world. We see it all the time. And there are times that we don't remember that this world is going to burn. There's going to come a day where this world, this time, everything will pass and the Lord will sit and he will rule and he will reign. And we need to keep that in the forefront of our minds. This is a temporary place. And it's hard. It's so hard. You know, I was thinking, I've shared this illustration before, but it definitely applied and I feel like I need to share it again. Last year in fourth grade, Lucas was getting made fun of for his shoes. And he doesn't really care about what he wore or the type of shoes he wore, the clothes he wore. He just doesn't care. He just hasn't. And I've loved that about him because there's a lot of kids that start to care very deeply about what they're wearing. 
Well, he would go out, uh, uh, his shoes, they just get worn out so much that we ended up buying him shoes from anywhere we could. So we bought them from the thrift store, we bought them from Walmart, because it didn't really matter. They were going to be in the trash can in like two, two months. Because he was growing, and he just wears stuff. Like, he's just hard on stuff. <laughs> and so he was at school one day, and there was this one kid, and uh, I won't share his name, because, anyway, um, I have angst to get him. But anyway, but this kid came up to Lucas, and he started calling him Walmart Shoe Boy. <laughs> it's not funny, Danny. <laughs> Should we give that to you? We give you that nickname? Yeah. <laughs> but he used to call him Walmart Shoe Boy. And he, it, at first, it didn't bother me. He's like, I don't care, whatever. They can just make fun of me. But over time, when he's doing it again and again and again and again, it really warmed down, and it really began to bother him. Because he's got thick skin to a certain point, but once you get through, he's super sensitive. And so he comes home, and he's just like a wreck. He's like, I don't, I don't like this. I'm tired of it. I, I can't stand it. And they keep calling me this and all that. And so we're working through all those sorts of things. So the summer hits. Well, during the summer, he begins to become more interested in more expensive shoes. And I'm just kind of letting it go. Well, he finds a couple pair of Nikes at the thrift store that were in pretty good condition. He was pumped out of his mind. Like, he came home, and he's like, Dad, you know how much I paid for these? I paid two bucks. I paid ten bucks. And they're like $50 shoes. He was so excited. I'm like, that's awesome, buddy. So he goes to school, and now he's wearing these new shoes. And so this kid comes up to him again and isn't really necessarily making fun of him and calling him Walmart shoe boy any longer. But he says, hey, so during basketball season, you're actually going to have, like, real basketball shoes? <laughs> like... And so Lucas did what he did, and, and I, I love how he did it, how he handled it, because he didn't totally get in a fight. He could have. But he went up to this kid, and he just goes, shut up, and he pushes him, and he just walks away. And I'm like, yeah, all right, you sit up for yourself. <laughs> could have gone bad, but it didn't, and everything was okay. But, but the thing about it was, and, and as we were coming home, he came home, and he was, he was really pricked in his heart. And he's like, you know, Dad, why do I care about what people think? Why do I care? Because he realized it didn't matter. Because people that are bullies, and even people of this world and the ways of this world, so you do one thing, they're going to pick on something else. So you do that, they're going to pick on something else. They're going to find something else. They're going to find this, they're going to find that. They're going to find all these things. So he finally started to realize it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter. And why am I going to let their opinions control who I am? And so I just can't care what they think anymore. But he apologized to me. He's like, I'm sorry for letting them influence how I think and, and how I wanted their approval. And I'm like, it's okay. And he's a fifth grader. He's still learning a lot of these things. But that's exactly how it works with this world. I mean, we are born again. We're brand new creatures. And, and we can not fit in. And this world can give us a hard time. And, and, and we can fall susceptible to these tactics and these strategies. And we can change certain things and be more like the world. But the thing is, is that you're not part of this world. So, okay, you change one thing. And you look more like this world. Well, then what are they going to pick on next? And then are you going to compromise there? And then what are they going to pick on next? And then they're going to compromise there. And then what are you going to pick on next? And eventually, you know what's going to happen? Well, I thought that you were a Christ lover. I thought that you were a Christian. You're no different than anybody else. Why would I want to listen to your God? I mean, that's what's going to happen. So if we just understand that the moment that we're born again, and we've trusted Christ our Savior, that we've been transformed, we are new creatures, we are strangers here. I mean, we shouldn't fit have you ever been a stranger in a strange land with strange languages? It's weird. <laughs> it's hard to know how to function. It's because you don't belong. And there are too many Christians that are trying to fit 
where they don't fit. They're trying to do things that they ought not to be doing. So why not just be who God made you to be and not be conformed to this world and you'll be able to see all the things that God can do as a result instead of wasting your life and wasting your time that God's given you to be redeemed for Him. But yet, we all fall prey to this. And so I hope my son remembers that lesson. I hope he can carry that over into the spiritual realm as he gets older because that's going to be a big one. So we are to not be conformed to this world. Number two, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the first part of this that I want to hit is that our carnal mind must be renewed daily. It must be renewed daily. It made me think of Psalm 51.10 where David, after losing a major battle with his flesh, where he ended up sleeping with Bathsheba and killing Uriah, her husband, and then covering it up and excusing it away. And then God confronted him. Nathan came to him and says, Thou art the man. That David humbled himself. That's the first will of God. He desired to be set apart unto God from this world. That's will of God number two. And he prayed a very significant prayer. And Psalm 51 is an incredible, an incredible prayer unto God. And he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. He knew that he wasn't thinking right. He knew that he wasn't living right. He knew the decisions that he was making were incorrect. And so he came to God and he said, God, I need you to create in me a clean heart. I need you to change me. I can't keep living the way that I've been living. I can't keep thinking the way that I've been thinking. I need you to renew a right spirit within me. The spirit that I've had in me has been the wrong spirit. I need you to renew a right spirit inside of me. And so this is important for us. We need to have a clean heart. We need to have a renewed spirit inside of us if we're going to do this. And it has to happen every single day. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. The Lord says that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which, at, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We have to put off that former conversation. When you are saved, you now have the ability to put off that conversation. But you just can't put it off. You can't just stop. You have to put on. If you don't replace ungodly habits with godly habits, if you don't replace that evil spirit with a renewed spirit, if you don't replace those things, then it's just a matter of time before you go right back into the garbage can that you came from. And so you have to make sure that you have this mindset that we're supposed to put off this former conversation and we're supposed to put it on. We will never put off and put on if we don't renew our thinking to align with God, His Word, and His ways. Romans 8, 6 says it. I'll just read it. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, it begins at salvation with being renewed by the Spirit of God, but it continues practically as we exercise our free will and yield ourselves to God. And that's the hard part. 
We don't want to yield to God. Our flesh is so subtle and deceitful. And it's not going to be like a, you wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're just totally evil and corrupt. It's little by little by little by little by little. And the only way that you're going to be able to recognize that little, little drifting, those little, little changes, is you have to draw near to God. You have to have that repentant heart attitude. You have to come to Him because you need Him on a daily basis. There should be prayers coming out of your mouth and out of your heart of saying, God, I need you to show me. Is there anything in my life? Is there anything? I don't care what it is. Is there anything in my life that I'm going astray? Is there anything that I'm putting on that I should be putting off and I just don't see it? Because we all have blind spots. We all have weaknesses. And if we're not honest with God about those things, then there's no way that we're going to be able to recognize it. And then there's other things that we know, because I know me and I I know the struggles that I have. There are times that I know I'm putting stuff back on. I know it. I know there are certain behaviors, types of thinking, where I've put it off and I said I never wanted to go back, and yet I kind of go back to it and I put it back on. Why do I do that? Because here's what happens. You go back to it and you put it back on and then it bites you in the rear end and you're like, why did I do that? Because we keep doing it over and over again. This is what amazes me about the mercy and the grace of God because in my life, especially my weaknesses, that I, the things that I keep putting back on, I'm like, God, why do you put up with me? Like, why do I keep like a dog returning into its vomit which dogs do, and it's absolutely disgusting. Why do we do that? Why do we go back to those things over and over again? There has to come a point where you know it's not worth it anymore. Like God will let you go back again and again and again, but there has to come a point where he either slams that door on you and shuts it so hard, or you recognize by the prodding and convicting of the Spirit of God and the Word of God that you need to knock that stuff off. You can't let it come back again. We have to have that mentality. We have to have that attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn it there for me. Turn there for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We have to have the right mindset. These are some of the best verses in the Bible in dealing with these issues. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You can't defeat the flesh with the flesh. It is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So how do we do it? Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There are strongholds that exist in our fleshly body until we are finally, completely, and totally redeemed. And I... Can't wait for that day. There are issues that I know for the rest of my life in my flesh that I'm going to struggle with. And I can either allow those strongholds to continue to remain strongholds and defile my life and my walk with God, or I can be mighty through God and have those things pulled down. But I can't pull them down. I can't. Try. If you've never tried to pull down your strongholds, good luck. You can't. Only God can. God is the only one that can pull down your strongholds. And that means that your victory is found in submission. 
It's found in yielding to Him. It's found in giving up to Him. It's found in stop fighting and just do what He tells you to do. And immediately it can go away. Immediately it can go away. Those things that have been plaguing you for years can, in one moment, one change of your heart attitude can immediately disappear. And the only way that it can come back is if you let it. And I know that in my life because I've let it come back again and again and again. And so what do I have to do? I have to go back and go, okay, the weapons of my warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God. So God, I need you to help me. I need you to change me. I need you to change it from the inside out because if I don't let you do this, this could destroy my life. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These things, and I know that there are some very hard struggles and every person has their own struggle. But I will tell you, if you have ever come to a spot where you're having thoughts that there's no way out except to sin. If, you, if you've ever thought that, I know I have, that there's no way out but to sin. I'm telling you, that is an imagination. That is a vain imagination. God will never put you in a situation where your only option is to sin. He will never do that. There is always a way of escape. The issue is, I'm not looking for the way to escape. And I'm allowing my flesh to have its way with me. That's what it comes to every single time in my life. Every single time. God gives me a way. And if I pray, God, I need you to show me. He'll show you. And he will give you a way out. He most certainly will. But these strongholds are not things that will ever put you in a situation where you have to sin and there's no other option. So we have to learn how to cast down those imaginations, knowing that it's a lie, that we don't have to sin, that we don't have to let these things have control over us. These are the high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God because the Bible is very clear. We don't have to sin any longer. It, can, it no longer has to have dominion over us. And we bring those thoughts into captivity. We bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we absolutely have the ability to do that. If you're thinking something that's wrong and unbiblical, you need to recognize that it's wrong and unbiblical. If there's certain verses that you need to memorize, you need to memorize those verses that line up with your struggles. If you need accountability, get that accountability in your life. If you want sin out, it can be out. You don't have to sin. You don't have to look like this world. And so the issue is either twofold. Either you are outwardly saying and giving God lip service of saying, God, I don't want this to exist, but deep down you actually do. And you're not willing to do whatever's necessary to get it out. Or... You're ignorant, and you need to be taught these things so that way you're no longer ignorant because there is a way out. There is a way out. This carnal mind has to be renewed every single day. My kids, when I think about my kids, it is my responsibility to help them to be renewed in their thinking because their mind and the tendencies of this world and their flesh are already pulling them in that direction. But here's the key. It begins with me. If I'm not letting God have his way inside of me, how in the world am I going to help them renew their minds on a daily basis? I can't. And I will tell you, that's a great motivator. Because there are things that I may not have been willing to deal with in my life, that when I look at how it affects my children, it should change the way that I deal with myself. And if you can't, then you are incredibly selfish and self-centered and conceited. 
Because look at what you're doing to your children. It begins with you. And I'm so thankful because God has given me those children as just another huge conviction. I mean, you would think that God himself should be enough. But the gift that he's given me through my children, I need to shape up. I need to not, I need, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't allow these things to control me because it's going to affect my wife and my kids. And how can I do that? I can't let that happen. Or I could if I'm only thinking about myself. And these are hard conversations I have with myself all the time, all the time. And I've got to be honest with myself about it. So how are we going to effectively change? Well, it's letter B. The Word of God is the agent of renewal. The Word of God is the agent of renewal. Psalm 119, turn with me there. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11. So the word of God is the agent of renewal. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. It is possible to cleanse our way. How? to take heed thereto according to thy word. To take heed means that we mind, that we regard with care, that we take notice of, that we attend to, that we observe with care and attention. If any of you have traveled to England and you've ridden the tube, there's a little thing on the floor that says, mind the gap. Well, I will tell you, there was one time I was minding the gap, but the guy in front of me wasn't. And we were trying to get onto that thing as fast as we could because those doors are not forgiving. They are not. So I walked in, and, and we were rushing in. And I think it was, uh, we had Bob Hutton, Josh Stewart, uh, Tom, and myself with Brian Clark. And so we were rushing in, and I was the last one in. And as I was the last one in, those doors came and went, wham, right on my shoulders. And I mean, it hurt. Thankfully, it stopped. And then I was able to get in. But it, if I had a backpack, that backpack would have been completely gone. And so there's a reason why it says, mind the gap. Pay attention, because you're not going to make it. Like, if it's shutting, you're not going to make it. And that's how I feel when it comes to this word, mind, to heed, to mind it, to take heed thereto according to thy word. It's not just knowing God's word. It's not just understanding it. Well, I know i got to mind the gap. I understand that. No, it's actually doing it. It's actually doing what it says. Because my kids all the time, they hear what I say, but do they actually listen to what I say? And I find this all the time. I mean, even this past week, there was something that Lucas asked me. He got off of school, and he asked me something. I can't even remember what it was. And I answered him, and then we went about our day. And then about 20 minutes later, he's like, hey, Dad, so why can't we go do that? And I said, I already answered you. Yeah, but I forgot. And I'm like, no, I already answered that question. So then I told him again. And then about an hour later, he's like, so dad, why can't we do that thing again? And I'm like, all right, kid, listen, I've already told you now three times, like this is not, you should understand. So here's the problem. You weren't listening. You may have heard me, but you didn't listen. You knew I said something, but my words were not important enough to you to actually hear what I said. You didn't really listen. And that's how we are sometimes with the Lord. We know that God spoke. I know it's somewhere probably in, I don't know, Psalms or whatever, you know. 
But we don't actually hear and listen to what he says. We have to take heed to his word with care and attention. We have to do that. And this is why we looked at that one verse last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The way you can move God's word from your mind, the Psalm 119 verse 11, to your heart is that you effectually believe it. You believe it and it effectually works inside of you. That you're believing God's word. Ephesians 5.26 is another great verse talking about the Word of God. That He might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about the body of Christ, by the washing of water by the Word. This made me think of, you know, what good is it if you have detergent for clothes if you never actually put it in with water and clothing? Like if you just buy the box, and you have the box, and you're like, all right, now my clothes are going to be clean, but you never actually open the box, take the detergent out, and apply it, to what you're trying to clean. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. But many Christians think that just because they have the box, all of a sudden their clothes are going to look much, much better. And then, of course, on the same line of thinking, I had to hit this verse, Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If you thoroughly want to deal with sin in your life and you thoroughly want to put off and put on then that means you cannot make provision for the flesh. You cannot give it room. You cannot even give it breathing room at all because the flesh, it doesn't matter. You give it just a small little smidge and it will take advantage of that gap and it will take advantage of you through lust to destroy you. There are certain things you can't even let it. You can't even let it come in. If you give it room, it will destroy everything and it will convince you to put off Christ and put on that old man. Number three. Number three. So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Number three, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's two aspects of this. First of all, living in the will of God proves true faith. It proves true faith. In Ephesians chapter 5, turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved and made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. When you follow what is true according to God's word, and that is light. We are children of light, and light makes manifest. It proves and reproves everything around us. And what this does is this reveals truth from error. Light does this in every single dark room. Every time the power goes out and you grab a flashlight, or like my wife who loves old stuff, she lights all the candles. And when that happens, it starts to lighten up everything in the room. Have you ever walked into a room without light? 
and thought that you were so confident. <laughs> you knew where everything was, and lo and behold, there's something right and just hit your shin in that sweet spot, and it's horrible, or you step on something really bad. Well, that's because you're walking around in darkness. We are children of light. We have the light of the Word of God, and when you actually use it, it proves everything around you, and that's what it's talking about in this passage, that we are supposed to use this as a reproving and making manifest by that light, and it will show what is actually true versus what's false. This is what Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about in 11.6, where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. When you live out your faith, it proves that it's true. Because verse 6 in that same chapter says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What religion does is it tells you to have faith, and it's some obscure, weird thing. How you know something's biblical is it actually works out in real life. It totally works out in real life. That when you exercise your faith, it may not make sense from the world's perspective, but it works out because it's the right thing to do. I'll never forget the example. Uh, you know, we rail on Calvinism a lot here because Calvinism is, is completely against the Word of God. But I'm going through premarital counseling right now, and I use a book by a guy who was known to be a Calvinist. But what's interesting is you'd read the book and you would never know that this guy's a Calvinist. You would never know. There's not a hint of Calvinism in it whatsoever. And he's talking about marriage, relationships, how to have a good relationship with your spouse, conflict resolution, uh, expectations, roles, responsibilities, how to care and love for one another, straight out of Ephesians 5. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. And what's incredible about it is that when you start to get into Ephesians 5, and it's talking about the dynamic of Christ in the church and the husband and the bride. That's at the core of salvation. And there's not even a hint of Calvinism whatsoever because Calvinism at its very core talks about that you are saved because God did not give you a choice. He did not give you a choice. That he puts you in a situation where you could not refuse the Spirit of God and now you are married unto him. And yet, if you were to try to translate just that doctrine over into real life, how would that work in a marriage? Are we Vikings? No, it doesn't work like that in our economy. I want my wife to love me because she chooses to love me. So immediately, Calvinism is no longer practical in everyday life. Immediately. And so this book is incredible. It's a great book because there's no Calvinism in it because it doesn't work. It's not a biblical faith. Biblical faith always works out in real life. It always does. When God tells you to obey, and you obey, you can see evidence of it actually being true as it works out in your life. And as you keep doing that over and over again, there's a huge track record of how God is so faithful, and His truth is very, very sound. Letter B, living in the will of God proves the reality of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord's heart for the whole world. Turn with me to John 17, and we'll end here. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17. So we are not supposed to look like the world. We're to be transformed that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we walk with God in His will and we don't look like the world, it proves the reality of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord's heart for the world. In John 17, take a look at verse, um, let's see here, let's start in verse uh, 15. 
I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So he even says in his prayer to God about his disciples, I don't want them to leave. I don't want them out of the world. I want them to learn how to be kept from the evil. And that's the part that's very difficult. And I think one of the reasons why God is so gracious and patient, because we have to learn how to be away from the evil that's in the world, but yet still be in this world. They are not of the world, verse 16, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I these for, uh, for these alone, but for them also it shall believe on me through their word. And now look at verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. And here it is, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. When believers in Christ become disciples of Jesus Christ, they're unified in Christ and they're unified in the work of the Lord. And the world may believe that thou hast sent me. There is no greater testimony that you can have that God is real and that his work is real, and that Jesus Christ is real, then by you being faithful to God. And that means you're not going to look like this world. This world is longing for the truth. They are longing to see something that's actually real. You know, back when all the COVID stuff started to unfold, we attracted a lot of different people because people finally got out of the places that they were, and they started seeing what else was out there, and they started coming here, and they're like, I didn't even know a place like this existed. Like, I didn't even realize that it even existed. And it's not because we're better than anybody else, but we believe the Bible, and we do what it says, and we love God with all of our heart, and it matters. And so there are so many churches and Christians that are out there that are playing church, and they're doing things that they are frankly victims of their own training, some of them, and some of them are just doing it because they just want more people. They want success. They want, they want all sorts of things. But when you love God and you obey God, it is an undeniable testimony that God is real. Because God is real. And there is no greater time for this world to see and to understand the reality of God than now. And that means we can't look like this world. We shouldn't be expected to look like this world. Take a look at the next verse, 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. And here's the other verse I wanted to show you, verse 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Right now, this world has a totally maligned and misconstrued idea of God. And because of verse 23, it says very specifically that when we are faithful and we are doing what God has told us to do, the world will know that God sent Christ, and that God loves them as thou hast loved me. That's what he says here. The world can know that God is real and that they can know that God loves them by our faithfulness and our obedience. That is huge. That is huge. I think so many times, because I can get this way, I want to win an argument. I want to have a good testimony for sure, but I want to win an argument. And I want to be right and I want to do all those things, but I need to stop myself. And if, I, if I'm just faithful to God, that my life will be a living testimony that he is true and it will speak more and convince in a much greater way than anything that I could ever utter from my mouth. 
I'll tell you, this has been a hard lesson for me to learn at times because I'm a words person. Words matter to me. And I was reminded of this last night because I was going through some premarital counseling stuff. And my in-laws are not words people. They're not. If I could have an argument and just use words, I think I could probably win. But it doesn't work with them. And I found that out the hard way. And so what I've learned with my in-laws is that it doesn't really matter what I say. I'll never convince them of anything. The only way that they can know what is true is that if I am faithful to live out my faith over a period of time, and then as they look at it, they won't be able to deny it. And then that will be able to open up doors for me able to have conversations when time allows. I was a knucklehead before because I thought I could just talk them into it. I couldn't do that. I tried everything I could possibly think of. We had massive conflicts leading into our marriage. And I tried to do everything in my power. And so what I needed to learn is I'm not going to win this. So I need to stop trying to win the argument with my mouth. I need to actually start fighting the battles with my life. Because they're not going to get it any other way. And there are some people that are words people that you can have great conversations with. And you can win them to the Lord. But then there's other people that it doesn't matter what you say, it's how you live. So we have to do both. You have to be ready with an answer from your mouth. But you better live out your faith. And it is one of the most powerful testimonies that God is real and that Jesus Christ was sent from God the Father to pay for the sins of the whole world. So don't ever, ever underestimate your obedience. Your obedience is huge, huge testimony. And it will speak in ways that you can't even comprehend. So we can't look like the world. We can't. There's no way that you're going to look like this world and be faithful and be able to win people to the Lord. It's not going to happen. Every day, this world, the ways of this world, and the God of this world are at odds with the Almighty. We will never fulfill God's will for our life and the specific plan He has for each of us if we willingly comply to this world and be conformed to it. We are born-again believers that are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and this world is no longer our home. Our home is with the Lord, and we do not need to wait for our death or the rapture to live with Him and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Each day is a tangible opportunity to be made more like Christ if we are willing to lovingly draw nearer and yield to Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for our time together tonight. Um, there are many things that I know that You uh, brought to the surface, even some things that I uh, didn't necessarily expect. And so I pray, God, that we would be listeners tonight and we would hear the things that You told us to do and not just hearers, but doers of what You told us to do. And so, Lord, I, I pray you'd help us with this battle because it is a daily battle. Uh, we can have a right heart attitude and we can have a willingness to be sanctified, but when it comes to making certain decisions to not be conformed to this world, it can, it can be difficult. And so I pray, God, that you'd help us, especially with the things that we are very weak in, things we're very vulnerable in, things we're very insecure in. Thank you for loving us where, where we are and meeting us where we are and not wanting to leave us there either. So I pray, God, that we would do whatever we can to draw near to you and really do whatever we can to, to honor you to the best of our ability so you can receive the glory from our life by the things that we think, that we say, and that we do. And so we love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.